so depressing over at Wayne Manor. But that's a lot just to keep the the it dusted. There's a lot. Yeah, that's what he has the staff and dude, dude, Batman and Remains of the Day, not that much different. Bothered me, and I believe it's the first Batman. It could be Batman mm-hmm. Returns, though, is when Michael Keaton ha- gets his soup from Alfred and he says, mm-hmm. mm, It's cold. And he's bummed. And Alfred goes, <laughs> Alfred's all like, Well, it's gazpacho, man. <laughs> and I was like, Are you telling me that Bruce, my man Bruce Wayne, never had gazpacho? Oh, I always found is that, that weird. In, is that in that? I feel like that's the first one. He gets the soup delivered to him. And he takes a sip and he goes, delivered. And he, he looks at him like, no thanks. And he's like, what the fuck is this? He's like, it's fucking cold. <laughs> Alfred. Well, Gal, well, cause listen, man, you gotta think about this. I mean, at that he's point. He's never had gazpacho? All those restaurants, all those dinners, all those banquets, never had gazpacho? I don't know. I don't know if they're serving. I don't know if gazpacho is a thing that's getting served at Alfred knows Gotham City. Well, yeah, because Gal- yeah, because Alfred's a you know worldly. Alfred's been with him for like thirty years though. He's not. He's never served yeah. gazpacho before. Listen, <laughs> even Alfred gets bored. He's like, okay, how much of the fucking like cream of broccoli soup? Let me give him some gazpacho. And then Bruce is like, you know, he's. I mean, Bruce is a petulant child. If you're living with me and we've been together, we've been living there together for like 40, 30 years, and he pulls out some new shit. You're that's a keeper, bro. And then Alfred tried to bring out some gazpacho and he was like, what the fuck is this? Okay. <laughs> he was like, hold the phone, dude. What the fuck is this? This cold soup, this cold, uh, this cold tomato juice that you're giving me. Okay, cream of broccoli. <laughs> Get back to the cream of broccoli. Exactly. You want to hit me with a butternut squash soup with a little drizzle of goddamn creme fraiche? Man, we could talk, but fucking gazpacho, you're pushing it for him. Yeah, you gave me an, a, a fucking Slurpee in a bowl and I'm over here supposed to just act like this is normal? <laughs> The fuck is this? He's like, Alfred, you give me salsa, but don't blend it up into a gazpacho and then try to, you know, fucking. <laughs> yeah, and also, if you're going to give me this, give me some chips. Welcome to 86 with Brian and Gore. Um, if you didn't tune in last week, uh, this is the show where we break down the nom- Academy Award nominated films of each year and uh, we discuss them, we dissect them, and we 86 them. Uh, we're here to talk about the movies that we really think uh, deserve recognition, uh, personal favorites of ours, uh, ones that have stood the test of time, and um, and here we go. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing. You're doing. doing. All right. I'm doing. Uh, right. We should be transparent. Uh, we're, do- we're not only we're doing, we're doing this uh, for the second time. <laughs> yes, that's true. The first, let's, not, the first uh, let's, not, let's not pull the wool over the eyes of the American public. Yeah. So you're listening to a conversation that we've already had. Um, I was going to try and pull it off like it was the first time, but... Um, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, if anybody if anybody's bored or if we come off as bored, you know why. Brian, Brian is coming at you from the Bronx and uh, and I am in Rennes, uh, which is in Brittany in the north of France. Um, you could you could tighten that up a little bit. Yeah. OK, I'm in France. Brian's <laughs> yeah, in New exactly. York. Exactly. Um, uh, France, as we uh, so lovingly call it, uh, you know, deep Bushwick. Deep Bush. So boo. Yeah, and we're here to talk about the the year 1986. Whoa, 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 whoa. 
Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Go ahead. Come on. Come on. We did this twice already now. Let's, <laughs> let's do it right. We're talking about the films of 19 or the Academy Awards of 1987 that are honoring the films of 1986. So I wasn't wrong. You just started out straight up 1986. <laughs> well, you know. Uh, as we uh, are like, uh, you know, as we like to do, we're going to start off with what was nominated in 1987, released in 1986. The nominees that year were, uh, you know, the usual varied bunch of uh, white guys directed movies. Uh, <laughs> so it was, uh, let's get through them. So it's... Um, Oliver Stone's Platoon, um, which is, as far as I know, uh, and I don't think I'm mistaken, pretty much like a, most people would say a classic, correct? Mm, right? Yeah, it's modern classic. Modern classic uh, in terms of uh, the war film category. Um, a lot of uh, really good performances in that from uh, Charlie Sheen, Willem Dafoe, Tom Berenger, uh Johnny Depp's in it, uh, you know, throughout, which is cool. It's kind of like a, you know, little pre, pre huge, huge Johnny fame, Johnny Depp fame. I don't know what else to say. I'm not a huge platoon fan. I watched it recently and I'm just like, I wasn't that, uh, I wasn't that smitten. Uh, get me out of being, you know, crucified. No, platoon's, uh, it's, platoon's fine. It's just, it's, it's not my go-to. I mean, yeah, but, uh, I think we're, we're more full metal jacket guys. Definitely. So that's Platoon. That was the winner. That was the best picture winner of uh, 1987. So I started with that one. Next up is Children of a Lesser God uh, with the magnificent William Hurt. Uh, fantastic Marley Matlin. Um, she, uh, she won Best Actress. Oh. Um, that's pretty much that. I mean, it's the, I mean, it's basically a teacher falls in love with a student story, if you will, mm. with a little uh, hearing impaired twist. Right. Uh, then we got Hannah and Her Sisters, Woody's film from 1986. Uh, won quite a bit, uh, quite, a, quite a bit of stuff. Uh, Diane Weiss won for Best Supporting Actress. Michael Caine won for Best Supporting Actor. Woody won for Best uh, Original Screenplay. Truly one of my favorite films ever made. Uh, we have The Mission starring uh, Robert De Niro, which I know Jake can uh, attest to in some, some sort of way. About no, the movie. I don't know. <laughs> the mission with Jeremy Iron and Robert De Niro. That's yeah, where they play the Jesuit missionaries in the, the is it 18th century? I went to Catholic school uh from kindergarten to the day I graduated high school. So my patience for religious stuff is just at a bare minimum. Bare minimum. So bear with me, no pun intended, guys. Uh, and then the last of the five uh, nominated films from 1987 was uh, Room with a View. And James Merchant Ivory. Ivory. It's a Merchant Ivory production. I don't think any, again, nobody I think is, you know, shouting out Merchant without Ivory. Uh, this is Helena Bonham Carter and, uh, you know, Julian Sands, Daniel Lewis is in this. Uh, she's going on vacation, uh, you know, Every, as usual, they're looking for a suitor, a husband, etc. I could, I couldn't care less. I don't, I don't know what to, to tell you. Again, I'm more of a uh, you know remains of the day guy. So uh, this was a little whimsical for my taste. That's the five uh, nominees from 1987. Uh, sorry that we can you know seem more enthused about more than one, but that's just the way the cookie crumbles. Uh, 
as we are wont to do, there are a bunch of other things that came out in 1986 that we find incredibly worthwhile, uh, worthy of your time, for sure, your attention, um, just some appreciation of, uh, in some cases, the artistry, uh, and in a lot of cases we found in this year, the, uh, the true duality of man, <laughs> I should mm -hmm. say. Uh, because uh, 86, it seemed like, was a year where it was either comedies or, like, the darkest, <laughs> some dark, fucked up shit that, like, really you know. Dark. So we got Down and Out in Beverly Hills, Goldie Hawn and Wildcats, The Hitcher with uh, Rutger Hauer, right? We have Richard Pryor's autobiographical, uh, you know, classic JoJo Dancer, Your Life is Calling. Talk about. Doesn't get much more grim than that. <laughs> yeah, it's like about dark family dynamics. Running scared with uh, <laughs> Billy Crystal and uh, the marvelous, uh, much missed uh, Gregory Hines. Under the Cherry Moon from Prince. Down by Law. Round Midnight. Jonathan Demme's uh, great something wild. Absolute Beginners. Julian Temple's uh, That Would Be My Bowie Choice for the Year. <laughs> Between that and Labyrinth. You're going Never fully the, got Labyrinth. But did it have the magic dance? Uh, Amoldavar's Matador, one of many, many very horny films from that year. Uh, oh, quite the horny year. And uh, I also wanted to give a shout out to uh, the short film, a short documentary, really, uh, Heavy Metal Parking Lot, which is oh, available yeah. on YouTube, uh, which is just a it's just a tailgate party outside of a Judas Priest concert. But it is very well worth your uh, 30 minutes or so. Oh, yeah. Um, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, which I think is maybe mm -hmm. the most disturbing movie of that year. Uh, yeah. John John McNaughton, who went on to direct Wild Things, classic. Uh, it's <laughs> just unflinchingly gruesome film. Michael Rooker is just incredible. I mean, it's just, it's upsetting from, I, I don't know who's rooting for him. I don't know if I'm rooting for him, but you're really just watching in almost real time, this, this guy just make decisions to murder and then, and then uh, see it through. Um, anybody's supposed to be necessarily rooting for him yeah there's no uh protagonist in that movie i don't know though you do feel for him though like you do feel his pain um mm -hmm. it's upsetting uh, Derek jarman's caravaggio and uh <laughs> I was mentioning to you i thought that dennis hopper was the mvp of the year because he had uh he had river's edge he had blue velvet and he had um uh, texas chainsaw massacre part two but i gotta give it to Derek jarman because not only did he do caravaggio but he also did every smith's music video made that year i think they were all off of uh yeah. the queen is dead queen is dead yeah yeah that's right fantastic nothing but bangers two movies that were probably two of the biggest hits that year uh ferris bueller's day off and uh, uh pretty in pink you know they were big and this is i think also something that holds you know it starts in the 90s and then it holds true very much so i think as, as far as our opinions as of uh more current cinema where you had things that were big hits that were genuinely like good fucking movies mm. unlike uh you know now you know a little more interesting than i think without the edge sanded down you mm. know i don't think there was a lot of and of course there's you know differences in social differences between now and then there are things that i just uh, you know obviously wouldn't fly now and it's a good reason you know for a good reason things like you know the long duck dong stuff and like you know pretty in pink or whatever uh genuinely kind of dealing with you know these like true emotions of a teenage girl you know mm. and uh what what that's like at all uh even though it's you know written by you know some 40 year old you know maluk from chicago you spoke know. to a lot of people 
spoke to a lot of people. And it made a lot of people laugh too, which is. Yeah, it made a lot of people laugh, made a, and also I think, you know, connected with a lot of people, uh, hence it being a big hit. And I know moms who show it to their kids, you know what I mean? Uh, Something that it's like, you know, from 1986, it's 34, 35 years old and it still plays on TBS, you know, and people, kids still watch it, you know what I mean? and not that we would ever expect those kind of films to be nominated for uh, Best Pictures, even though maybe they oh, should be. It's crazy because it's like the people's champ. Now, nobody talks about The Mission or A Room with a View. Room with the View is, in its own way, the story of a teenage girl looking for love and trying to, you know... But boring. <laughs> I mean, but boring. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. just like, eh, it's not... It, it's not hitting like uh like pretty in pink um it was pretty in, i mean they're both horny movies i guess uh <laughs> yeah i mean there was some i mean there was some i mean between ferris bueller and pretty in pink the thing is and uh apparently from <laughs> we had some conversations apparently uh we are in the minority that find ferris uh you know pretty much asexual yeah According to my sister and uh, Jake's wife, we were all wrong about this. And Ferris is very horny, et cetera, et cetera. Extremely fuckable, too. Don't I guess. apparently apparently it's fuckable. I don't we're see not it. See, I don't. I don't. I don't I'm see it. it. Uh, River's Edge was another horny one. If you want to go down that route, mm-hmm. uh, you know, back to school, Top Gun, obviously. And here we go because we're obviously wrong because we see as Tom Tom Cruise is the most fuckable human on the earth. Uh, at all times and i'm sure everybody thinks the opposite <laughs> people usually talk about him as being sort of this asexual being he's t- we were talking about him you know how people people feel about him how we feel about bueller so i don't know we're probably in the wrong so what the hell you know what the hell do we know you know he's got that that fire in his eyes that just, gorgeous face and this you know yeah. perfect you know uh perfect temperament mm, perfect temperament. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> Um, Little Shop of Horrors. I was just going to say, very. I mean, feed me, feed me, feed me. See yeah, I mean, he on. kills just, people just so that he can, you know, hook up with yeah. the girl. And, and the, fetish, you know. The, yeah, the horniest scene in that movie is between Bill Murray and Steve Martin. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it's true, actually. Uh, okay, so, so anyway, we had 1986 kind of like the black and white cookie of films. It's just like this light and dark side. Mm. Uh, and like uh, the incomparable Jerry Seinfeld said, you know, you eat down the middle, you get both. Mm. Um, and that's kind of what like Pretty in Pink was. But then you get like on the dark side, we got things like River's Edge and The Fly. Oh, yeah. Uh, so horny, that movie. Dude, please stop with the horny. Oh, we're, I thought that's where the we're path going, you were going down. We're going on, we're, we're dark and light. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you're on this cookie thing, but I'm no, still... You're in the pink. You're in the pink. You know what it is? I'm horny right now. <laughs> yeah, apparently. We got Down by Law, which is kind of like dark and sad and funny, you know, all these different things. Ah, fuck, I guess I'm done. I can't. I can't. We already talked so much about being horny. I can't talk. I can't go this light and dark. <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of, a lot of, you know, a lot of dark shit going on in 86. Par- parting glances is quite dark. Uh, uh, no, just say it's horny because that's what you wanted to say. I, it's not horny, actually. <laughs> I was going to say that it's very much not a horny movie. You know, you look at the box. Uh, we've talked about it. You look at the box. You yeah. see Steve Buscemi's mug and uh, his first film, right? And you know, he's yeah. got the, he's got the cool like Tom yeah. Cruise Ray Ban sunglasses on. You think he's, you're getting like a 
you think you're getting the loveless and it's like you know no it's like just like you know aids you know this hiv aids drama uh, and then there's just some like silly stuff i mean there's a lot of silly stuff there's you know like things like uh my sister and i uh we didn't have disney channel growing up but then they would do like the free disney channel preview weekends and uh a perennial you know fixture on that was the money pit uh tom cruise doing you know gags and stunts falling through the floor and shit and just being tom hanks what did i say tom cruise i said tom cruise god can't get him off the mind you know (laughs) you're horny Bastard. <laughs> Toxic Avenger, which I oh, do yeah. not know why my mom was letting me rent that so much and so often. That I was know. a big year for uh, Trauma, too, because they also released Class of Newcomb High. Class of Newcomb High, which I thought you were going to have on your list. I thought you'd put it on the first time. Well, I, I overlooked it. My apologies. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll to Trauma. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, but it's a good time. Same thing with Out of Bounds. Anthony Michael Hall, uh, who I wish you would watch that movie because he's doing one of the weirdest fucking things I've ever seen in the entire movie. He's just whispering. Like, and he thinks he's like mysterious. Mm. <laughs> and it's so weird. I love that choice. Damn near inaudible. And it's directed by Richard Tuggle, who only directed one other film, and it was Tightrope. Is- the Clint Eastwood film, which I uh, love. Yeah. See, uh, no, it was and directed he wrote Escape well. from, uh, from Alcatraz. One of my all-time favorites. You know that. He only directed that. these two movies. That's kind of important. He was like, fuck, dude. I'm... Did he die? He's that's still alive. Going out with... That's called going out with a bang. If you don't fucking get my vision, then, you know, you don't. He just, he pulled the Vincent Gallo. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, pretty much. He pulled the Gallo. <laughs> damn so sick with that said after all this useless commentary about a bunch of b movies so here are our personal top fives uh we're gonna kind of go and be going back and forth uh like uh like jadakiss and styles or epmd or roger ebert and martin scorsese is that too lofty that's too lofty okay so Very lofty <laughs> lofty uh goals Number, number five, we are going to go with Betty Blue. Starting, starring the absolutely wondrous and tempting Beatrice Dollar. Oh, she's wonderful in this movie. I guess she was just found right off of the street. Um, and she was plugged into this movie. She's so badass, too. Just a wonderful, wonderful performance. And uh, something I did want to talk about, because Brian and I are both big fans of uh, short run times. Uh, you know, <laughs> If I see 77 minutes on a movie, I am so in. Uh, Listen, I'm a man of extremes. uh, And it goes this way. If a movie is like 80 minutes, it's perfect. Also, if a movie is like four and a half hours, it's perfect. Of course. If it's worth it. Yes. Yeah. Two and a half. Like you got to be like, I kind of put more pressure if it's like two and a half. Yeah. Because I'm like, dude, you're kind of giving yourself like a long leash and also like not enough time. Right. 72 minutes or like give me like seven hours. <laughs> the, the, and the thing with this movie. One sitting. It, We're not cowards. Sure. Uh, the thing with this movie is it would work pretty well, I think, as a 90 minute movie. You know, it's it's got it's it's gorgeous. It's got all the great pop elements. It's romantic. It's uh, it, could, it could be it could be a, a hit album uh, at 90 <laughs> minutes, but it wouldn't touch. But on, they decided to do greatest hits box set. <laughs> and it's so fucking worth it. I mean, the, the three, I think it's around a three hour runtime, but it really touches on and you really feel the pain of these people in such a visceral way that I think uh, we're, we're lucky that the, uh, 
the French are, you know, they're willing to gamble on a little bit more than we are. You know, I, I, I was talking to Charlotte and I was like, this would never fly in the States. I was like, you know, even the most, uh, even, even the best filmmakers that, that make these kind of lengthy sort of almost European style movies, you know, Altman's the, the only one I could really think of that would, uh, of an American that really like kind of takes no, the time not, in the same way. No, not even because the long ones, I mean, we're going, we're talking about like, it's like shortcuts and it's like shortcuts is a long movie, but it's nine different stories. Yeah, that's We're true. talking about things in which a filmmaker really goes for it. Yeah. It's like, I mean, the European director's been doing it forever. And, uh, you know, Bergman did like long things with yeah, like, you know, where it wasn't multiple stories, you know? Uh, Betty Blue is kind of the precursor of something like, you know, like blue is the warmest color. Mm-hmm. There's like three hours long and it's dealing with one relationship. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like kind of going for it. Um, My number five coming from, you know, one of the preeminent uh, American filmmakers of, his generation, um, obviously, uh, he had done a few shorts before this, but this was his first feature film, feature narrative film, and uh, it's uh, Spike Lee's She's Gotta Have It. It's, to me, amongst the coolest that Spike's ever been. We're both, uh, I think, pretty big fans of Spike, but uh, we also, I, I know I do personally have, there are questions of taste that arise with Spike from time to time. There are, in every project, there's usually something that kind of irks me. Um, and then there are other things that like, and then there are other times uh, where he kind of pulls, he kind of pulls off this very delicate bal- balancing act that he's always, you know, got going on perfectly. Um, for a filmmaker to have a career in which he's done so many great films uh, and also like some ones that it's like kind of, you know, iffy, um, kind of crazy to start it off with like pretty much a perfect movie. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah she's got to have it. Uh, we were talking about it earlier. I mean, probably the horniest movie of 1960s. Spike's great in this. All the actors who play the lovers are great in this. Uh, she's obviously fantastic in this. Um, you know, interesting cinematography. Um, great, just coming from I think a very pure place with Spike in terms of the fanaticism over like Michael Jordan and basketball and like you know, kind of coming from this young horny guy's perspective of um, what this woman is doing in terms of like, I guess now would be known as like reclaiming her sexual freedom. And being very unapologetic about it. And I think it's a very cool place. And I think he, uh, funny enough, has gotten a little bit didactic and kind of regressed (laughs) in some ways. But um, at the time, it was obviously a big deal. Uh, I think it's just a great representation of a filmmaker with a uh, point of view coming out fucking swinging Mm -hmm. and connecting and fucking hitting a, you know, you know, at least at least a two run, three run home run if not a grand slam. So uh, yeah, killer movie. She's got to have it. That's my number five. Uh, not to be, uh, not to bring it back to this, but speaking of, oh, swing- but you are <laughs> speaking of swinging. Is it, did we, is there any dong in that movie? Cause I think that's important that we always recognize because oh. Betty blue. There's so much dong. You said there's on. so much. Like Don Hughes, Anglet, and it's never, it's never hard, uh, but it's, uh, <laughs> which is fine. Uh, but he really the like classier way, you know. Yeah. It's not even like yes, of course there's sex scenes, but it's really like he'll just stand in the frame and have a phone conversation and uh, cock just out, 
cock out. And I, you know, I just, I, I want to give him props. And, and I thought that there was some slight dong in uh, She's Gotta Have It. There's definitely a lot of banana hammock. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the guy, the homie, sure. the, the dude who works out. Yeah, yeah. A yeah. bunch. He's definitely rocking banana hammock a lot in that. Uh, yeah, Jamie Overstreet, Career Child. You know, Spike wasn't hanging any dong. Uh, she's, I mean, she's in it, nude in it a bunch, and like that's anyway. Uh, anyway, with your with your number four pick coming Jacob. in at number four, <laughs> we're gonna go with David Lynch's uh masterpiece, Blue Velvet. Um, wait, is your four Blue Velvet? Yep, this is perfect. My four is also Blue Velvet. Well, there you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very there nice. we go, fantastic. Um, uh, uh, something can you just that wait, I think can you we wait can 10 minutes so I can talk about it first and then. Oh, no, I don't want to. I was going to say we could talk about it together or what I was just going <laughs> to. So like, what the fuck? Um, uh, yeah, another one. I can think you, we can. You... <laughs> Do you mind? OK, not his mo- most mind fucking movie, but um, but certainly uh, played a large role in, you know, uh, forming my sensitivities to cinema. So. Uh, I think Blue Velvet, Blue Velvet in 1986 probably was a litmus test. How like we were mentioning Anatomy of a Hell was a litmus test for us in mm. 2005. Um, as in this like this thing that you're gonna show you people, hang? and it's like, can you hang? Yeah, can you hang? Are you you know are you cool with this? Are you? I could see also that being just like a major jumping off point for people where they go, oh, maybe I wasn't into Top Gun, but I also saw Blue Velvet that year, and that was something I was into, you know. Mm. Um, so that's always cool. Um, number three. Number three, I'm going to go with True Stories. David Byrne, yeah, yeah. David Byrne of Talking Heads fame uh, directed mm-hmm. his, his only film uh, that he directed. And it's just, a, it's just a fun romp. It's just a great ride. You know, you got John Goodman. Uh, you have the uh, incomparable Spalding Gray, uh, who I'm... I'd go incomparable with John Goodman, but okay. Yeah, I, we love everyone loves John Goodman. Uh, I also love Spalding Gray, though, and he is beautifully bizarre in this movie. Um, David Byrne turns out a strange performance, uh, some one that I think you would expect from him, though. Um, he mm. plays sort of just this cowboy hat wearing uh visitor to this town in Texas, and and he's really just getting to know the locals, um, as they're preparing okay. for as they're preparing for this um specialness festival blue true story is another one of those like blue velvet where it's like everything's crystal clear and very bright you know but i would say what i love about true stories is that it's so non-cynical it's really Uh, like a very much a celebration of like as time has gone on it's been very he is like the america's like harbinger of hope in a lot of ways yeah like there's the new one it's like american uh a utopia the utopia i mean yeah. the, the title alone it's nuts yeah yeah um yeah he really sees like david lynch i think in blue velvet like he really yeah i, I think he really puts a microscope on america and like a very in a bizarre way but also a very relatable and real way and and mm-hmm. uh he really digs into the dirt and, and shows us something that yeah is is uh, we wouldn't necessarily think is beautiful but it it truly is when you're you know when it's it's shot by the great uh um, Ed Lockman, right? Who, who I was, yeah, yeah. Who shot uh, Ken Park, which is a favorite of ours, I believe. The complete. It's funny that you say that when it's just about as far a fucking way <laughs> as could be from true stories. You know, oh, beautiful in like Ken Park. It's like 
Oh yeah, the one where, you know, uh, due to auto asphyxiates and creams on creams on camera. <laughs> yeah, and he shot um, Light Sleeper, which you know, again another dark one and a kind of definitely more of like a nighttime film. Uh, if anything, just shows the uh, fucking extreme versatility of Ed Lockman. Yeah, very much so. You know. All right, my number three, um, kind of keeping more in line uh, with Light Sleeper, um, the fantastic Manhunter by the truly incomparable Michael Mann. Um, just uh, an early introduction to the world of Hannibal Lecter and all that comes with it. Um, A great introduction, know, too. <laughs> yeah, Hannibal Lecter driving detectives mad since 1986. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, this is just a fantastic movie. It's just a uh, thrilling. There's, um, you know, Brian Cox as uh, you know Hannibal Lecter is a sight to see. Uh, as um, William Peterson is fantastic in um, a way that is uh, very similar, to, I will say, to his character in uh, To Live and Die in L.A. Just a, just an obsessed fucking detective, really trying to get this guy, really trying to figure out what is going on. And much like Clarice in Silence of the Lambs, you know, using Lecter as a vehicle in which to, you know, get this guy. And the guy being Tom Noonan, who's fantastic as the killer, just always a weird, imposing presence with his tallness and his, like, aloofness. Um and just an overall thrilling movie, man. Michael Mann, uh, you know, few people know how to do a thriller like that, dude. Um, just an early example. So consistent. Know. So consistent. So consistent. So one of our finest uh, documenters, along with like Fincher and just like, you know, of just obsessed people. <laughs> And just like bringing you in to the point where you're like, I'm kind of obsessed too. Like I want like, you know, really, really, really bringing you in. Number two. Uh, number bring, two. That brings us into uh, Tarkovsky's The Sacrifice, which the is, sacrifice. A, you know, if Tarkovsky couldn't get devastating enough, he goes and uh, makes a movie uh, in Sweden, in, in Bergman territory with Bergman's mm-hmm. lead act, one of Bergman's, you know, main players. And, and it really has a lot of uh, tonal shifts that feel very Bergman in the movie. Uh, it's Tarkovsky's final film. I, d- I don't think it's one of his most widely celebrated or, or discussed, but I think it's a perfect movie for pandemic living. Uh, it's about a, a group of people who gather in this house for uh, this older man's uh, birthday, and they watch a, a news program that's basically saying that the world is about to end. And it's them all dealing with that. So a uh, pretty upsetting movie. And uh, I highly recommend, you know, if you got a couple of hours that you want to yeah. feel a little reflective, um, it's worth checking out. Nothing to do with the last year at all, of course. No, 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 no. Nothing that we all don't kind of understand. Yeah, no relation, of course. Yeah. My number two comes from uh, a fellow alumni of uh, Cardinal Hayes High School in the Bronx. Uh <laughs> That would be uh, Mr. Martin Scorsese with uh, The Color of Money. Uh, are we calling this a spiritual sequel to the, to the Hustler? Or are we calling this... I mean, he's playing the same... Paul Newman's playing the same character. I know, it's, it's, so we're, I know, but it's not the same. Should we just call it a sequel, I guess? I guess we could just call it a sequel. If you want to be fussy about it, uh, whoever the fuck wants to be fussy about it, we can call it the spiritual sequel. But uh, it's the sequel to The Hustler... 
Tom Cruise had two movies come out in 1986. One was Top Gun. The other was The Color of Money. Top Gun is, uh, of course, you know, known by any pretty much living person with two eyes. Biggest film of all time. Really, let's not let's calm down. It's not the biggest film of all time, but it's the biggest film of all time. <laughs> There's never been a bigger film. The other was The Color of Money, and The Color of Money is a stone cold classic mm. of the highest order and a masterpiece. It was 1986. So this was, so I'm going to assume, like I did last time, that Martin Scorsese was on quite a bit of cocaine, so imbibing, if you will. That's a lot of years of cocaine, though. We know that when he, he did Raging Bull, and that was like 1980. But After Hours is like the most, unless, uh, unless After Hours is the kind of movie you can only make when you quit, but it was like 85, I don't think so. That's like, a lot of should, years of coke. Uh, well, you know, you do what you got to do. He's banging out classics. You got to stay yacked up. So uh, The Color of Money, um, I'm assuming it's also another one of the Scorsese cocaine classics, <laughs> as I'm calling them. Just like incredible, restrained, yet like just flashy enough. Incredible camera work from, uh, I think, Michael Bauhaus. A great performance, great trio of performances from Mary Elizabeth Mastroriano or... I'm sure I'm butchering that name, but, you know, uh, Tom Cruise and Paul Newman, who went on to win the Best Actor Oscar for this very performance. I see this movie as kind of like a passing of the torch from, from Newman. I mean, like kind of, you know, literally in the film and like figuratively as uh, the passing of the baton to this like incredible, new, charming. Tom Cruise is just a great little shithead in this. <laughs> He's just like such a douchebag. And he's perfect at it. They're, con- they're just conniving all over the place. Conning and conniving. Overall, good time. Underrated classic as far as uh, Scorsese is concerned. And just for consistency's sake, I believe you, you told me that uh, Cruz had swung Dong just prior to this. <laughs> for consistency, yeah, uh, Cruz hung Dong in all the uh, right moves. All the right moves with Leah, Leah Thompson, m- mother of uh, Zoe Deutsch. But yeah, he had uh, he had hung Dong in that uh, a very young cruise. So I mean, prime Dong, obviously, just like you know, young tight new bow Dong, tight balls. <laughs> oh, like a at least I probably <laughs> saw just the television edited version. So this is just what I'm imagining. Oh yeah, they used to show that one on Stars. I I'm feel imagining- like all the time tight there's no extra loose <laughs> hanging sack I'm it wasn't imagining. that it wasn't that it wasn't an exploration of his body right so uh my number one pick with that uh, said yes jake your number one <laughs> my, my number one pick my favorite film of 1986 yes uh is uh you know a shot a shot to the arm uh-huh. i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with uh alex cox's uh masterpiece Sid Mm -hmm. Sid and Nancy. We've been having some fun and we've been talking about, you know, what a horny year this was. And I would say that this movie is almost the antithesis of all So, so not horny. No, not a horny movie. The saddest part is when they're laying in bed and I think he says, uh, when's the the last time we had sex? And she says, if you want to. (laughs) And And they just continue smoking a cigarette and that's just all it is yeah. and and keeping in yeah. mind these this is not an old couple this is not people no who've been together no, 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 no. they're 21 years old yeah babies 
Yeah. Um, I, I know uh, that it's a controversial movie. I know a lot of people, I think now it's kind of become a beloved movie. And it has movie. now. And I was trying to, you know, we, uh, I think you told me Alex Cox himself wasn't a big fan of this. Yeah. I, I heard Alex Cox thinks that it's his worst film, which is um, absolutely insane. Yeah. If I've ever. Yeah. Just a hilarious. It's a, I think it doesn't get enough credit for being inventive and, and bizarre and uh, beautiful looking. Roger Deakin shot it. Uh mm-hmm. The music's great. Uh, I, I, you know, Gary Oldman's obviously one of our finest actors, but it's it's really, truly my favorite role of his. Uh, I just think that he's so in it. He's so just, and, and we were talking about this. It really is like that Sid Vicious, right? Like, I'm not even saying like, oh my God, he really becomes Sid Vicious, but I think that he went even a step farther. And now when I think of Sid Vicious, that's my preferred uh, version. It's, it's very funny how... There's how many goddamn Sex Pistols documentaries and specials and all kinds of stuff. And the entirety of this kid's career was filmed. And there's so many resources to look at. And you can actually look at Sid Vicious at any time. And at no point do I ever really think of Sid Vicious. No. You're always thinking of Gary Oldman as Sid Vicious. <laughs> that's just, once you watch it, that's the way it goes. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, you don't think of oh, archive footage of Sid Vicious, you think. Oh, Gary Oldman. And the same goes for Chloe Webb as well, playing Nancy Spongebob. Yeah, I think of Courtney. Think of Courtney Love? Yeah, I don't know why. Well, she's in that movie, too. I know, because, and I always think, like, she, and she's, and Chloe Webb is great, but I always think, of, I don't know why. Well, because then she, that. because then she became. Because then she became. Chloe Nancy. Webb as Nancy Spongebob, though. No, specifically, <laughs> she became Chloe Webb as Nancy Spongebob. <laughs> That's how transcendent that fucking which movie is, is like, which is wild. Yeah. It's like, and she's in the movie and she became. Uh, even like uh, the next year, uh, Alex, Cox, Alex Cox's next film, uh, Straight to Hell, which was mm-hmm. almost like a pseudo improvised uh, gangster movie. Courtney Love has a, uh, has a lead role in that movie. And she's very much kind of doing. A, 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 Chloe Webb. Chloe Webb is, as Nancy Spongebob. Yeah. And I think he's been doing it ever since. Well, I'm sure she, yeah, I'm sure she auditioned for Nancy, didn't get it. And then she was like, it's okay. I'll just do it in the next one. I'll just do it for the rest of my life. And she's a good actor too. Hey, she can be very, she can be very. She's great. And the people versus uh, Larry Flint, uh, man on the moon. RIP Larry Flint. Did you know that, that Courtney Love killed Kurt Cobain? Dude, wait till we get to 2005 and last days, all right? Please. <laughs> but did you? But 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 did you know that? Are you well aware? Are you aware of that? <laughs> and and did you know that Courtney Love denies that she killed Kurt? Wait, she's never admitted to it. I thought she did. That was your number one, uh, Sid That's and Nancy. Right. So thank you guys and. Uh... <laughs> Anyway, so Jake, that was your number one, uh, Sid and Nancy by Alex Cox, which I guess leads me to my number one, um, a film that we both just uh, adore. It's the best Thanksgiving film that will ever be made. Um, One of my top uh, Woody films and uh, overall in life, just one of my favorite movies, and that is Hannah and Her Sisters, one of the five nominees for Best Picture, uh, won three Academy Awards, and um, as far as I'm concerned, could have easily won five or six. To me, this is just a wonderful, wonderful film. 
you know, encompassing all the good stuff in uh, art in terms of uh, love and uh, betrayal and, uh, you know, asking the big questions about life and not being, you know, kind of being serious about it, but also um, hilariously funny um, in terms of, uh, um, you know, Woody Allen's character and his uh, constant, um, I don't know, battle with the idea of uh, death and coming to terms with that or not. And kind of, you know, just uh, something that we can all relate to in terms of, you know, falling in love with your uh, your wife's sister. <laughs> you only live once. That is true. That is true. And it is a pretty universal film. Um, and it is uh, something that is, I think, pretty masterfully done in terms of the, you know, kind of the structure of like being centered around three different thanksgivings and the ups and downs the ins and outs the comings and goings and switchings of lovers and going back to and you know diane weiss who's just you know as charming as a perfect woman can be in the world and you know just absolutely spectacular in that um even the fact that we get to see woody try to do uh you know cbgbs and his ears are bleeding and it's like a fucking like romantic like new romantic band essentially <laughs> it's one of those ones that it's funny because it was nominated for best picture and it as far as i'm concerned very easily should have won agree yeah just a banger i think you said I mean, because we try to obviously tailor our list so that it's not the same stuff. It's not too identical list. If if we were to, like you said, it would have been pretty high on yours as well. Correct. Not even the rain has such not small even the rain hands. Has such small hands. Oh, what a time to lead back into. No, Michael Caine does not hang dong in this movie, but horny as can be. Oh, he would never hang dong. No, no, no. He talks about. I read his book, and he he says, "Do not hang oh. dong." As advice in general. Like, don't do a nude scene. As a man. Uh, I don't know. I think he means in general. I think he's like, just don't. I don't don't think Michael Caine believes that women shouldn't be doing nude scenes. I don't know. And I don't want to put words in Michael Caine's mouth. (laughs) Uh, But I do know he says, and this is a direct quote, he says, don't don't (laughs) hang Don. Yeah, you'll never see Michael Caine's Don unless you go to his gym. Why were we talking about? Uh, because we were talking about how incredibly and specifically horny yes. it is to buy yeah. someone a book. <laughs> exactly, mm-hmm. and especially right. that book with that poem. Uh, you know, peak nineteen eighty six uh, mm-hmm. literary horniness coming through for Michael Caine on that one. All right. Well, I All should right. go. Good. How do you want to wrap this? Sleep? All right, everybody. That was uh. 1986 movies from the uh you know 87 oscars uh we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did having recorded it uh twice for you guys so uh later days, days.